And I love this passage so much, so I'm excited to be preaching on it. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. If if you're new with us or if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it on the screen behind me so you can follow with us as well. But let's read this together as the church out of Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. It says, "Now Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And and they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, or others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for your word, which is true and powerful for us. I thank you for your church, whom you love and whom you died for. And I pray for each person in this room, including myself, that we would receive something from your word today that would call us to to greater devotion to you and a greater understanding of your love for us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated at this time. I want to welcome you here today. My name is James Yandel, and I'm one of the pastors at this church. And I kind of want to start out today with a little story. I want you to imagine there were two men standing in a large corner office of the Manhattan building. Uh, And these two men had built a very successful company in a very short amount of time, right? They they had built something up, they'd done this very impressive thing of building this company in a short amount of time. So they were standing there in this corner office celebrating their amazing feat. And as they were standing there, the younger man said to the older man, "I, I can't believe that we had built this so quickly. It's amazing to me how successful this has become. And the older man sort of thought about that, and he, you know, pondered it for a little bit, and and then he finally responded very quietly, but will it last? And that's kind of the question that I've been asking myself a little bit uh, this past week, in the things that I've been doing, and the pursuits that I've been pursuing in my life, will it last? I don't think it's a question that we ask ourselves very often as we go about life. We don't think about that question a lot. Will it last? Are the things that I'm doing, are these going to be the things that last? But I'll tell you that there are companies out there that are asking that question every single day in this ever-evolving world, right? I'm sure all the brands that are out there are thinking, will this brand last? Use an example, anyone heard of Snapchat? Snapchat is kind of late to the game, but some of us older people, but I'm kind of on Snapchat now, and I got a seven-day streak going. It's pretty good. If you're not on it, then don't worry about it. But anyway, Snapchat earlier this month went public. So they're being traded on the stock exchange, right? And I watched as, as Snapchat went public, as the stock price went up and down and up and down, as investors are asking that very same question, will it last? And it's a hard question to answer whether Snapchat will last or whether different companies will last or what things in life will last because we live in an age of options, right? 
Like you have options in every single sphere of your life. You have options about which brand you're going to put on in the morning, what clothes you're going to put on. You have options about what social media platform that you're going to uh, use or post on today. You have options about which church you're going to go to. You have options about which job you're going to have. You have options in this life. And so in this ever-evolving world that's overcrowded with, you know, different brands and different businesses and viral videos and stuff like that, it's hard to predict what exactly is going to last in this life. Things seem to fade out as quickly as they come. I'll use a couple of examples from history. A lot of the things we use today, we feel like they've been around for a long time, but the truth is they're just so pervasive in our life that it just feels that way. Let me use a few examples. Let's talk about Facebook. Most of us are on Facebook. It has changed the way that we've connected with each other. It's a, it's a really ubiquitous thing in our culture. Do you know how long Facebook has been around in the grand scheme of human history? 13 years. 13 years Facebook has been around. And before that, there was MySpace. You remember that? I was on that for a little while. No more MySpace. We got a few people on there. How about the internet? This thing that turned the world upside down, that basically made the earth flat again as it connected all of us in all these different countries. The internet has been around to the public since really 1991, 26 years ago. The atom bomb was invented only 72 years ago, and the first TV flickered on less than 100 years ago. These things that feel like they've been around forever have not been around for very long. And if I may be so bold as to say, they have not proven yet whether they are going to last. It amazes me that there are countries in this world today that will not exist in the next century It amazes me that there is technology that we use today that is not going to be relevant in 20 years. It amazes me that we have the fashions that we are wearing and our styles are not going to be relevant five years from now. And it amazes me that that viral video of the BBC reporter who had the kids run in on him, I'm sure you guys have seen this if you're on the internet at all, everyone will forget that by next week. (laughs) And then there's the church. I've entitled today's message, Why the Church Won't Die. Why the church won't die. Because we often hear that phrase, right? Kind of the church is dead or the church is irrelevant or the church has no place in modern society. And I find it a little more than ironic that a lot of times when we read the church is dead, it's people who are posting it on social media platforms that were invented 600 weeks ago. The church, on the other hand, has been around for 2,000 years and was founded by a man named Jesus. No single socioeconomic status, no single country, no single culture, no single language can claim the church as their own. It has grown and adapted and has survived to this day. The dark ages came and went and it was still there. The Enlightenment came and went, and the church was still there. Two world wars came and went, and the church was still there. This little thing that started as as just 12 followers, minus one, right? You can't count Judas in that. So this little thing that started as 12 followers has grown into a global, historic movement of God. 
that no matter what has come against it, the church has survived and it's here to this day. In the words of the French monk Theodore Beza, the church is an anvil that has worn out many a hammer. It survives to this day. And yet the tension that I feel a little bit is sometimes, especially in our historical tradition, maybe as a, as a Baptist heritage, is we don't have a very high view of the church. Right? Sometimes we, we, we kind of see the church as one of many options in this life. We, we pick our brands, we pick our social media platform, we pick our job, and, and we pick our church. It's just a part of our culture of customization. But I wonder if we think of church a little too little. I wonder if our view of church is a little too small, as if we treat it like a Silicon Valley startup. Why do, my, my encouragement and my kind of thought today is that the church is no Facebook. It wasn't invented yesterday. And sometimes I feel like if we have too small of our view of church, it might lead us to not have as connected a relationship with God and with other people as we could have. Like, I think Jesus intended for this thing to be very special and to be very meaningful, to be very deep in our lives. And sometimes I don't feel like it's like that for us. I don't think we realize that when we walk into this building and we join and gather with the church, we are stepping into God's global historic movement that Jesus has been building for 2,000 years. So today I'm going to explain four reasons why the church won't die, why it will continue to last. And all along the way, I'm going to be taking you through and showing you why that's important for your personal walk with Jesus. All right, so before I do that, I have to explain a little bit what I mean by church when I say church won't die. Because I'm sure you're thinking there are churches that close their doors all the time, right? Like we've seen churches that that close. Maybe we've been to a church that's not open anymore. So what do I mean when I say the church doesn't die? This is what I mean. When I say church, I don't mean White Oak. I don't mean Neartown Church. I don't mean Wake Church or First Baptist Church. When I say church, I'm talking about something bigger. And when Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, I think he's also talking about something bigger. So I tried to come up with just a quick definition of the word church, just so that we're all on the same page and there's no confusion. So here's my definition, and hopefully it'll be on the screen. The church is the community of all God's people who gather locally for the purposes of worshiping God, serving each other, and serving the world. So according to this definition of church, church includes all God's people in all of God's history, past, present, and future. So when I say church, what I mean is that there are people in here who are followers of Jesus and believers in Jesus, and that's part of the church. But then all across the city, there are other people who are meeting and gathering and who believe in Jesus, and they're also part of the church. And at the same time, there are churches, as John talked about, over in China who are gathering and meeting, and they're also part of the church. When I say church, I mean all God's people. This is the thing that is going to last, and this is the thing that God is building. So why do we have so many of them? 
at least in the meantime, in the future, we're all going to be gathered together into one place. But in the meantime, because of convenience and because of geography and sometimes because of little differences of interpretation and opinion, uh, we meet in different local neighborhoods. So we are a church for this local neighborhood. We are a church in this neighborhood for this neighborhood. We're just a small piece of this global thing that God is building through Jesus Christ. So that's what I mean when I say the church won't die. So that's a basic understanding. And now that we have that, let's go back to your passage. And so if you would, uh, look back at verse 13 and 14, and we'll, we'll just read down here one more time. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they say, and some say, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So unsurprisingly, when you read about the life of Jesus, or you read in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll find that there are a lot of people confused about who he was, Right? And so a lot of people would try to pigeonhole him into just a little slice of what he was about. They would say, oh, he kind of sounds like Jeremiah, one of the old prophets. He's always talking about the future. He's a little bit doom and gloom. He kind of sounds like Jeremiah. But then others were like, no, he kind of sounds more like John the Baptist. He's talking about repentance. He's talking about things like that. He sounds more like John the Baptist. Now, these days, we probably, most people probably wouldn't say that Jesus is a prophet, but they might say that he's a moral teacher, right? You hear a lot of that in our culture. Jesus is a good moral teacher. He says, love the poor. He says, love your neighbor. He says, turn the other cheek. People like that about Jesus. They call him a moral teacher, But how does Peter respond when Jesus asks him? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So here we have the first reason why the church won't die. The church won't die because the church has clarity on Jesus. The church won't die because the church has clarity on Jesus. So let the rest of the world... um, argue about him or or twist him or, or forget him, but the church will survive because the church has clarity on who Jesus is and what he was about. We recognize that Jesus is the Christ, God come into the world to save the world. In short, we last because we recognize and we celebrate the gospel. Acts 4.12 says this, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so while there are a lot of different denominations out there, you know, Catholic and Lutheran and Baptist and and Episcopalian, all these different things, every true church is going to have at its core this confession that Jesus Christ is God come into the world to save the world. We have tied our identity and we have tied our destiny to the message of Jesus Christ. And so we as a church will last as long as Jesus' message does, which is forever. So if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus, you could say that you are part of the church. On the one hand, you could say you're part of a church, White Oak. But on the other hand, it's also true for you to say that you're part of the church, a part of God's, all of God's people in the world. So just as we as a church together hold fast to this confession, my encouragement for you today is to ask you, are you holding fast to the confession of the gospel? Are you putting your hope in the gospel, which is eternal, 
or in the temporary things of this temporary life. I talked about before, there's the Facebook and Snapchat and different brands. There's all these different things in our life that are calling us to invest our hope in them. And just as investing in Snapchat is probably a risky endeavor, honestly, I wouldn't recommend it. Don't invest in Snapchat. It's probably not going to be around in a few years. But just as investing in Snapchat is a risky endeavor, investing our hope in these temporary things in life is also a very risky endeavor because we don't know how they're going to turn out. So my question for you is, are you putting your hope in maybe your job or your savings account? Are you putting your hope in the thought that your business is going to take off and be successful? Are you putting your hope in the relationship that you're in? Are you putting your hope in a a particular situation turning out a certain way? These are very risky. My question is, is your hope rooted in the forever gospel of Jesus Christ? Is your hope rooted in the forever gospel of Jesus Christ? Or is it rooted in one of these temporary things? My encouragement for you as a pastor and our goal as a church is to always be moving you more and more to be trusting more and more in Jesus Christ and less and less in these temporary things in life. The church will last because it has clarity on who Jesus is and we will last as we have that clarity as well. So let's take a look back at verses 17 and 18. So uh, Peter responds to Jesus's question with the right answer. Now let's see how Jesus answers in verse 17. It says, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, another name for Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus praises Peter, saying that what he said is true, and what he says has come from God. So notice what Jesus says. He says something amazing. He says, on this rock, on your confession, I'm going to build my church. So when we think about the history of the church, 2,000 years of history, this is where it starts. It's amazing to me that Jesus Christ left no writings of his own. He left no monuments, no statues, no political authority. The only thing that Jesus left was the church, the church that he founded. And this small, fledgling band of followers has grown into something that has impacted the entire world. That amazes me to no end. A second reason why the church won't die, the church won't die because the church has the support of Jesus. The church has the support of Jesus. Jesus is committed to building the church. Jesus has been working through it throughout history, and he's working through it today. Even as we sit in this room, Jesus is building his church. And that's why at this church, we're always encouraging you to come deeper with us, to come to gatherings, to be a part of a community group, to do all these different things, because Jesus said he's building his church. So if we want to be a part of the spiritual growth that Jesus is encouraging, it doesn't happen out there. It happens with his church, right? Because Jesus says he's building the church. So I love individualism. I love the fact that we, you know, America is sort of built on this idea of being an individual and having individual success. But I got to be honest with you that individualism is poison to your spiritual development. 
you have to be a part of the church to really grow and to be really intimate with God and with other people. So that's why we're always encouraging to come deeper with us and to come deeper into what we're doing. As much as Jesus loves you and I individually, which he does, he is building the church. So if we want to be a part of that, we have to hop on the train of the church because Jesus is the engine for that train and he's taking it somewhere. So that's why we always encourage you to come be a part of the church. And now the last thing on this sort of second point, like Jesus does support the church, but a quick word on that. When I say Jesus supports the church, I don't mean that Jesus supports everything the church does, regardless of whether it's good or bad. That would be a wrong interpretation of Jesus building and supporting the church, right? If you look at the book of Revelation, Jesus had a lot to say about some bad churches. And whenever you look through history, you've certainly seen the church do some questionable things and sort of twist the words of Jesus in a lot of different ways. I'm not saying that Jesus supports that. What I'm saying is that Jesus is committed to preserving the gospel through the church. And he's committed to helping us, and he knows that we're not perfect, but he knows that we're growing, and he's committed to helping us to do that. When done well, churches move their city and their culture in the direction of love and holiness. And when done poorly, they can really mess up a society. But Jesus loves us, and his support guarantees us that our church will last, and that the church will last through the ages. All right, moving on a little bit. Let's go to verse 19. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. All right, so let's run back. So so we know the church is going to last because we have clarity on Jesus. We know the church is going to last because we have the support from Jesus. And lastly here, the church will last because the church has authority from Jesus. The church has authority from Jesus. Now, when I say the word authority, it causes some people probably to, you know, kind of your hair to stick up a little bit. You know, the questions start coming to your mind. When I say authority, what do I mean by that? Because in the past, it seems like people have used this understanding of authority to sort of use the church to to, to sort of control governments and stuff like that, right? So I'm taking a church history class, and I've I've been reading a little bit about the history of the church. In a lot of of different eras, the church has sort of uh, influenced the way governments work. But I I don't really think that that's what Jesus is talking about here. And the reason that is, is because Christianity seems to flourish and the church seems to grow most in the places where the government is most against it. Think about Jesus in ancient Rome, man. They used to slaughter Christians, throw them in front of the lions, all that kind of stuff. And yet the church continued to grow through all those things. Even in modern China, the government does not want the church to grow, and yet it is flourishing. It's growing. So I don't think that that's what Jesus means when he says he gives us authority. I think the authority that Jesus has given us is the authority to proclaim and to live out the gospel in this world. Like Jesus has given us the spiritual authority to point people to him because that's exactly what he did. So when I say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him, I know that I'm speaking for God because that's what the word of God says, right? So if I, as a pastor, or if we as a church move away from this confession of Jesus and start saying, like, Jesus is not the Christ or something like that, we're no longer under the authority that Jesus has given us because we're no longer preaching the gospel. So we don't have the authority to go make people Christians. 
we have the authority to live out the gospel in this life and invite other people into the love of Jesus Christ. So even you as an individual believer have the authority to speak for God when you say that Jesus loves people and that he invites them into his love through the cross. You have the authority to say that. So as long as we preach and teach and live out the gospel, we can do this with confidence that God will bless us and that he will support us. All right, last reason why the church won't die. Let's end with verse 20 here. He says, Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, when you read this, it's kind of baffling a little bit, right? Because obviously, you know, Jesus doesn't want us to tell other people, right? But in this context, before Jesus had died, a lot of Jews of his day, they were confused about him, right? So a lot of Jews of Jesus' day wanted to make him a king. They wanted him to overthrow the Roman government. They wanted to set him up as the king of Israel. And they had no idea that why he came was to die. But that's very important for us as we talk about the church lasting because the last reason why the church won't die is that Jesus died so that the church wouldn't. Jesus died so that the church wouldn't. You see, the whole reason Jesus came to earth was because he knew that we were broken. He knew that we were messed up and he knew that our actions were messing up this world and were separating us from God. For Jesus, there was no plan B. Even though there were all these options in life, even though there were, he's a God of unlimited options, he chose the option that would bring him to the cross to die for us. And it really warms my heart as I think about that and I think about how much Jesus loves us, that he is so committed to us as a church that he would die for us. And this is the gospel. Here at this church, we preach the simple gospel that Jesus Christ came into the world, died on the cross for our sins, rose to new life so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That's what Jesus says when he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the confession that that Peter had, which is the gospel. The church survives the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So White Oak, uh, I think you'll agree that we live in an age of options, an age where brands and technology go as quickly as they come. Like we live in an age where you can literally rate a church on Facebook on a five-star scale. That, I mean, that, that blows my mind. And, and I feel like the problem is if we start thinking of our church in terms of a fast food restaurant, that we may forget how much Jesus loves it and how much Jesus is committed to it. So as we draw to a close today at White Oak, my my encouragement for you is to be as committed to the church as Jesus is. My encouragement for you is to be as committed to the church as Jesus is. He has shown us a better way than to just think of the church as just one of many options. And I feel like if we begin to think of the church as just something on a five-point scale, that we are going to lose sight of the thing that makes it most beautiful. The fact that it is made up of imperfect people trying to follow Jesus together. So if you've walked with us with any amount of time, I'm sure that I've disappointed you in some way. And if you've walked with us for any amount of time, I'm sure other people in this room have disappointed you in some way. But the whole point of this gospel thing is that we're not perfect, but that we're trying to practice this faith together. And so my encouragement for you is to be committed to us, 
I'm committed to you as one of your pastors. I know many of you are committed to each other and to this church. And my encouragement to you is to be committed to us. It is worth it. It is worth it. Really quickly, I want you to think of something. I want you to think of what is the deepest, most meaningful relationship you have in your life. It could be a spouse, could be a sibling, could be a parent, whatever it is. Just think about that person. How long have you known them? For a while, I bet. And it's the same way with the church. The longer you walk with us, the deeper and more intimate your connection with us will be. We're like a family here, and we want you to be a part of our family. Jesus is committed to us as a body, so let's be committed to each other. Very quickly, before we end and before we pray, I want to share a quick story. Um, I was driving down Heights Boulevard, right? And um, I was driving down, and if you've ever been in that area, you'll notice there's like a median in the middle, right? And there's like little trails and parks and stuff like that. And uh, they had put up this art installation as I was driving by, and it was so powerful that I, I, I had to pull over my car and stop. And this was the art installation. And I, I don't know what the artist meant by that, right? I'm not sure if they meant, you know, they, I feel like maybe they meant the church is dead. I'm not sure for sure what they thought. But when I saw that, you know, I thought maybe, maybe they do mean that the church is dead or that it's irrelevant or that it has no place in modern society. But when I saw that, it made me think the church isn't dead. I'm looking at the church right now. The church came around me when I was born and they prayed over me. The church visited my brother and sister when they were in the hospital The church was the place where I learned about the love of Jesus Christ in this world. The church is there when you're born, and the church holds your hand when it's your time to go. The church is not dead. The church is as alive as Jesus is. And so that's what I'm celebrating today, the fact that Jesus loves us. He is committed to us. We're not perfect, but he is committed to building us up. The church is not dead. The church is alive. So let's pray together and let's just celebrate that amazing fact that we are part of what God is doing in this world. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for the church. We thank you for the people that you laid down your life to to save and to redeem, Lord. We thank you for how much you love us and that you are building us up through the gospel. Father, we love you. Father, I love these people in this room, Lord, and I just pray that they would be filled in this moment with a sense of your love for them, that they would see this place as a family for them, a family that's not perfect, but a family that's committed to walking together in this life. We love you, and we celebrate your son and his death on the cross, and we celebrate the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.